0: All right, let's open with a word of prayer, and let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord, and we ask, Lord, as we go to your word right now, that your Holy Spirit would be our speak, teacher. Give us ears to hear what you would say to us. I thank you for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. I pray for those watching on live stream. I'll watch this recorded later. May you minister to every heart, and I truly pray, Lord, that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. That these would not be the words or the opinions of man, but that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher this, this evening, Lord. So be glorified, I pray, in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Really quickly, as we know, 2 Chronicles was a letter that was written to the children of Israel who, after 70 years in bondage uh, to the Babylonians, are now returning to Israel. And so as they're coming back to Israel, many of those that are coming back probably had never lived there before. You know, if they were under the age of 70, they had never lived there before. So they really, you know, no doubt heard stories from their family about it, but they had never actually lived there. And so these instructions were being given to exhort and encourage them and give them the history of all that God had done for the children of Israel, beginning all the way back when they were in bondage in Egypt and then... How they wandered in the wilderness after they, and how the law was given at Mount Sinai, and then they wandered in the wilderness and didn't go into the land because they listened to 10 men. 10 men kept millions out of the land of promise. That's why we don't listen to men, we listen to God. Amen? And then when they finally did enter in, and, you know, God gave them victory over everybody in the land, and, and then we it really, First Chronicles really focuses on the life of King David. And so we saw that. They've been given the history of the life of King David. And when you get to 2 Chronicles, it now has moved to Solomon. And if you were here two weeks ago, when I taught 2 Chronicles chapter 4, we titled it, What Can Wash Away My Sins? And how there is no access to God's presence without sacrifice. Remember, they were being reminded of all the sacrifices that needed to take place. And what's been taking so long so far is that Solomon's real focus and his main passion because of what his dad had instilled in him was to build the temple. And why was the temple so important? Because without the temple in the old covenant, they couldn't really have sacrifice. Without well, at least the tabernacle or the temple, they couldn't make sacrifices in God's presence was represented in the Holy of Holies by the Ark of the Covenant. And if you remember, when they traveled in the wilderness, the God's presence literally hovered over the Holy of Holies and moved with them and would move in front of them, and they would have to pack everything up and go to where God's presence was. Now, as we come to chapter 5, if you've got your outline, grab it. I tell the message, God's presence in the midst of God's people. You know, a lot of people meet together, And they might as well put horns on the wall and call it the Elks Club. Because if they are not teaching the word of God, and if the Holy Spirit isn't present, it's not church. Amen? And by the way, the church is when, when believers gather together. So, you know, like the church of Scientology, not so much. Can I get an amen to that? they're advertising like crazy. If you haven't heard about us, we've heard about you and we're praying that you guys get saved. But the point I'm making is that it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that makes the church church. Amen? Because the people have to have the Holy Spirit within us. And as we gather together in the name of the Lord, it's God's presence that makes this a place of worship, a place where the word of God can go forth with power where we can minister one to another, where we can supernaturally use our gifts, and where people can come to know Jesus and be born again after repenting of their sins. Amen? So the key to all of that is, no Holy Spirit, it's not church. No Holy Spirit, you're not saved. Amen? No Holy Spirit, your worship is in vain. No Holy Spirit, you'll never understand the word of God. And so, bringing of the, we're going to see in tonight's text the ark is finally going to the temple is going to finally be completely done, but something's missing and it's the ark. And they're going to bring the ark and put the ark back where it belongs in the holy of holies. And once the ark is there, the people are all going to come together and celebrate. And guys, that's a, what needs to happen is we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why we don't have a temple anymore because we are the temple because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And you know what? When the Holy Spirit has his rightful place in our lives, we should rejoice like the people in tonight's text are going to do, because the Holy Spirit and the the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, was where it belonged. And once the the Ark was where it belonged, the people rejoiced. And as soon as we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we should be rejoicing. Amen? Amen. And I don't care how much gas costs. I don't care who's in the White House. I don't care about all these other things that can cause us to be dismayed. The good news is God's on the throne. He's in control. The spirit of the living God lives inside of us, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. Amen? So tell the message God's presence in the midst of God's people. First of all, be faithful to finish. Solomon, we're going to see in verse one, that not only did he know what he was called to do, but he's going to finish what he was called to do. And too many Christians, and you see it throughout the New Testament, especially the Apostle Paul, he loves to use race, you know, run the race and, you know, talking about how to finish. And, and, you know, it's something that we as believers need to be mindful of. I have this conversation a lot. I'll I'll run into guys that used to be heavily involved in doing ministry, and they've just kind of been on the sideline for sometimes a decade, two decades. I'm like, you know, God's not done with you. And I want to say that to everyone in here. God's called you. He's uniquely gifted you. And God wants to use you. And if you were once used in the past and you're not being used now, that's not God's fault. Amen? We want to finish what we are called to do. We want to do everything well. We need to give the Lord our very best. Be faithful to use the gifts he's given us for his glory. And then we know that he will finish. If we will allow him, he will begin a good work and you will be faithful to complete it. Point number two, God's presence back in the midst of God's people. That's what I named the title the message. And we're going to see the worship of the true and living God. And keep in mind, this is being written to whom again? To the children of Israel who had been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And maybe they never really understood how to truly worship the Lord. And they're going to see a glimpse of it. We're also going to see how the people, when the temple was built and the ark was in its place, Representing the presence the presence of Almighty God back in there in Jerusalem where they belonged, and we're gonna see how they rejoice. And because again, the presence of God is what really matters. Why does the world, why is the world never satisfied? You see people go, you see people online, you hear about this, this this guy that committed suicide yesterday, 40 years old, super well-known guy. Everybody talked about how happy he was, and he killed himself. Because, in, you know, I I'd probably dealt with depression. We need to pray for that kind of thing. But here's the thing, that we're never going to be satisfied in this life if, we don't, if we're not filled with the one who created us. Amen? If you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, your flesh will never, ever, ever be satisfied. And what, you can't marry into being satisfied. You can't win the lotto into being satisfied. You can't buy enough stuff to be satisfied. True satisfaction is only going to come when you have the Spirit of the living God living inside of you. So, point number two there, again, God's presence. We're going to see the true worship and making worship a priority among God's people. You know what? I love to worship. And you know when I worship the most, when I'm in my car by myself driving between appointments. This happened just yesterday. I have an appointment way over here, and the next appointment's 100 miles away. So that means I've got two hours just to worship God at the top of my lungs. And uh, it doesn't matter how bad I sing, because it's sweet in His presence. Amen? Amen? But, God, but, but we, God's people should be worshiping people. Do we, have, do, do we have a lot to thank God for? What's the answer? We can't praise Him enough, and it should flow out of us. Point number three, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. You know, that's the, we know the song they're singing around the throne, even as we're here tonight, and I want to talk about in that section, doing God's will, God's way. Guys, it's not enough to just say, I want to do God's will. We need to do God's will, God's way, not our way, Amen. Lord, I want to walk in the center of your will, and I want to do it the way that you want me to. The temple's not complete without the Ark of the Covenant, because again, we need God's presence. Uh, We are called to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we were spiritually dead until the Holy Spirit took residence within us. And then finally, be prepared to enter into God's presence. My dad had so many sayings that I'll never forget and he, I remember him telling me, especially when I was a teenager, he would say, son, you prepare for Sunday morning on Saturday night. And then what he meant by that was, look, if you come dragging in here late, if you don't get enough sleep, you just kind of show up at church and you haven't, been, you haven't spent time in prayer, you haven't spent time in its word, you're not expecting to meet the Lord when you get there. He said, it's all, you almost should just stay home. Because, guys, if, if Jesus was going to be here on Sunday, would you get here early? Would you sleep the night before? Would you come here with great expectation to hang out with the Lord? Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit's going to be here Sunday. Amen? And we want to come here with anticipation. We want to come here prayed up and ready to receive what the Lord has for us. It's good to read ahead in the text and have it already something that's ministering to your heart. You never have to guess where we're going to be next, because if you were here last week, we're just going to keep going. We go right through Scripture. And so being prepared, enter into fellowship, ready to meet the Lord. May we be unified as followers of the Lord. May we be people of praise. And may they know us by the love we have one for another. So let's pick up there in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. God's presence in the midst of God's people. Be faithful to the finish. Verse 1. So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. Now, I love that word Finished. It's easy just to read the sentence and move on, but the building of the temple was decades in the making. Uh, one of the things I like to do, I don't have time to do it, but I, for some people, most people are not this. I, I like puzzles. I'll get like a 2,000-piece puzzle, 1,000-piece puzzle, and I'll put it on the living room, and I, I'll just work on it t- if it takes a month. But I, there's something about it. But you know what it is? Because I'm one of these guys that likes to finish stuff. I don't think I've ever had a puzzle I started that I threw in the box without finishing it first, right? And, you know, can you imagine moving into a brand new house and you get there, and there's no baseboards and the, they didn't do, didn't do half the electrical and you, you'd be losing your mind, right? And the reality is that some of us, that's how we deal with our walk with the Lord. I mean, we're not fully in. We just kind of go halfway. We never finish what God has called us to do. And praise God that Solomon, because remember, David had come to the Lord decades earlier, wanting to build a temple and was told by God he couldn't. So then he said, well, I can't build it, but I can get all the stuff together for my son. And then he instructed Solomon, not how to be a great warrior, but how to be a temple builder and how to be faithful to that. And then we saw it took seven years Uh, for them to build the temple after waiting some time. And then he he waits 11 more months to dedicate it because he wants to dedicate it during the Feast of Booths, right? And he waits for that day. So they've been waiting maybe 30, 40 years since the plans were given to David. And now it's finally been built. So you can imagine how exciting it was that it was finished, And you know what? We want to finish strong. We want to do things well for the Lord. We don't want to be half hearted. And I want to encourage you when you commit to do something ministry wise, you be faithful to that. You prepare for that uh, more than you would prepare for anything else that you do in your life. King David, again, had this burden and this passion. How can I live in the palace if God lives in a tent? That doesn't make sense to me. He was so passionate about it. And notice he passed that passion on to his son. And he let his son know how important it was that he didn't just have the plans for the temple and the stuff needed for the temple. He told him how to divide them up into groups. How he gave him everything he needed to do, but he had to be the one to step out and do it. And that's like us with the Lord. God calls you and then he gives you gifts supernaturally. But he's just like when David was gone, David couldn't come back and make him do it. It was up to Solomon to take the gift he'd been given and be faithful to it. And the same is true for us. God has given us gifts, and God's the one who, again, has given it to us, but we have to be the ones that choose to be faithful to do what he's called us to do. So David, like I said, had done everything he could. Now Solomon was faithful to follow through, and he finished. And again, I love the word finished. I don't, I don't believe we should do anything halfway Again, we don't build a house halfway. Everything we do, we should finish and do well. You know what's great? Our God finishes everything. Amen? What these, what's his last words on the cross? It is what? It's finished. To die, paid in full. And you know what? He's our example. We're Christians. We're followers of Christ. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. So God's going to finish the work in us. And again, it won't ultimately be finished until the day that we are glorified. But may we be faithful to finish all that is put into our hands, especially all that we do for the Lord. So all the work that Solomon had done was finished. And this was a great achievement in Solomon's life. He began this ambitious project shortly after he got on the throne. And now it was finished. And the truth is... There's nothing he would do greater in his life than this. I guess you could say, well, God had him write Proverbs and, you know, Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, so God used him mightily that way as well, but the throne was the thing that was to get Israel's eyes back on the true and living God, to not fall away and chase after the false gods of this world, and sadly, we're going to, we know, if you were here when I was going through First and Second Kings, when we were going through First and Second Kings, Solomon, Starts worshiping false gods. Solomon starts m- marrying all these women that have pagan idols, and he starts worshiping their false gods. That's why you're not to be uniquely out together with unbelievers, and that's why that we uh, minister to the world but have no fellowship with it, because you will become like the people you hang out with. Amen? But here's the Solomon that built the temple. He's starting so well, and sadly, he, while he finishes the temple... He's not going to finish his life as well. Then it says there, and Solomon brought the things which his father David had dedicated the silver and the gold and all the furnishings and he put them in the treasuries of the house of God. So not only did he finish building the temple, but now he's furnishing the temple. Remember that he had got craftsmen to come and they were making all the things that were needed for the temple, and now he's going to bring it all in because, again, the temple without the furnishings could not have sacrifices. The temple without the ark, again, does not have the presence of God. So the Holy of Holies is empty as we come to this chapter, but all the other furnishings have been brought in. So David had prepared. He'd had everything ready and Solomon follows through, and again, we too have been prepared by God, and it's our calling to follow through. And now that the temple is furnished, and the furnishings and crafted have been built, it's time to bring them into the temple, all of which pointed to Jesus. See, we know this. We've gone through it so many times, but again, bronze altar, picture of the cross, you know, blood in four spots, right? Then the bronze laver, Again, the picture of being cleansed, right, from our sins as the priest goes and, you know, washes the blood off of himself. Then when they enter into the holy place, you have the golden lampstand. Jesus is the light of the world. You have the table of showbread. He is the bread of life. Then you have the altar of incense that is lit 24 hours a day. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. It would spill over from the holy place into the holy of holies. And then the ark, again, a picture clearly of Jesus. There were three things in the ark. Aaron's rod, again, because he's our great high priest. Jar of manna, again, he's the bread of life And the Ten Commandments. Jesus is the word and the fulfillment of the word. Amen. And then you have the angels, the cherubim on the top. It was covered by the mercy seat because the only way that we can, you know, have mercy over the fact that we are sinners in need of a savior, the words there, do you need mercy to cover the word, to cover the law that shows us we're sinners in need of a savior. And then again, the cherubim, a picture of what would happen on Resurrection Sunday, when they would run into the tomb and see the angels on each side. And again, it's all a picture of Jesus. So even as they're bringing these implements into the temple, they don't understand. They just know they're being obedient to the covenant that's before them. But you and I can look back and see that it always was all pointing to Jesus. And none of it points to Muhammad. None of it points to Joseph Smith. Certainly none of it points to L. Ron Hubbard or anybody else. Amen? And so this is why we know what we believe and why we believe it. And by the way, anybody that says they're a deconstructing Christian, they're just an unbeliever, and why don't you just man up and say it? Can I get an amen to that?'m Tired of seeing this. I'm, getting, I'm deconstructing my faith. If you can deconstruct it, you never had it. Amen? Don't get me, I'm getting fired up about that, okay. But you know what? Here we are that're bringing the presence of God, and the temple is just an empty building without his presence. And you know what? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we're just empty buildings without the Holy Spirit in us. Amen? Our lives are empty. There's no hope. There's no choice, so, source of true joy. Uh, I love when I get to someone who's really kind of fired up, and we start having a discussion about faith, and I'll tell them flat out, you don't have any peace, bro. And they, what, one guy really cracked me up. He goes, how dare you say I don't have any peace? And I'm like, well, there, therein lies the, you just proved it, bro. <laughs> right? we have peace? Why do we have peace? Because we know the Prince of Peace. Amen. I was telling Joshua, I had a sales call yesterday and they're still totally panicked about COVID. And I walked into this office and they're all like, they have cubicles of glass around them and they're all wearing masks. And they took my temperature and I came in they wanted to give me a mask. And I said, I'm good. They said, you're worried about getting COVID? I said, no. I said, as a matter of fact, if I knew you all had COVID, you could all cough on me. I'd be fine with that. I don't care. And they're like, you're crazy. I said, no, I'm saved and I know where I'm going if I die and I'm not afraid of anything. So that's just how I'm, I'm, I rock that way. Can I get an amen to that? We just live different. If, you don't have, if I didn't have Jesus, I'd probably wear a hazmat suit. Can I get an amen to that? Because you think you're going to die. You're scared half to death that there's joy in the Lord and there's peace in him. And you know what? The temple now is being, has been completed and now they're bringing the furnishings in. Solomon was faithful to finish it, and now Israel was going to be back to worshiping the Lord the way that he should have been worshiped. they They've been in bondage for 70 years for the people reading this, and in Solomon's day, the temple has finally been built in Israel. People will say, I feel so empty, and I say you are because you need Jesus. Amen? I can honestly say this, I never feel empty, ever. I don't feel empty. I can get discouraged at times, I certainly grieve. I certainly have times when I would just as soon go to heaven. Heaven's better. Amen? That being said, I'm never empty because he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Amen? So point number one, be faithful to finish giving giving the Lord your best. Be faithful to use the gifts God's given us for his glory. Know that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. We're all works in progress. Amen? None of us have arrived. Oh, by the way, I watched a Jesus Revolution movie a couple nights ago. And it's fantastic. So I'm excited that we're, we look like we're going to get a, a showing for our church with 200 tickets. And I hope you guys can all make it. It's a, just a history of the Calvary Chapel movement, and you will be blessed. So point number two there, God's presence back in the midst of God's people. It says, Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and the chief fathers of the children of Israel in Jerusalem that they might bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. Now, the city of David was some miles away. It was down, a further. It's down further. The city of David, and often Jerusalem's referred to the city of David. But it's being brought from this place, some miles away, and they're going to finally bring the ark and put it in to the present. You know, put it into the temple where it belongs in the holy of holies. Now, it had been in the tabernacle before in Gibeon. And it had been; it remained there for some length of time because there was nowhere else for it. And and now it's going to be brought. Now, remember, they've had a few problems moving that ark around, haven't they? A couple like we've seen, you know, people dropping dead because they were doing it the wrong way. Again, doing God's will, God's way. Amen. So they need the, the, the without the ark of the covenant, the day of atonement. There's nowhere to sprinkle the blood of the lamb. Amen. The thing that points to the Lord. So the ark needed to be replaced. And so he calls all the elders together, and they're going to you know, be present in the bringing of the ark into the temple. This is a glorious thing for them. By the way, you know, a, a lot of the Orthodox Jewish people, they're, that's what they're trying to do right now. They're trying to rebuild. They, they've, got, they've got the golden lampstand, and they've got the table of showbread. They've been looking for a red heifer. We'll talk about that later on. And they've got all these things they need so they can you know, reestablish the temple in Israel. And we know the temple's coming back to Israel. My personal belief is it won't happen until the rapture. That could happen, but more than likely that's what happens because we know halfway through what will happen. It has to be here during the, during the time of the rapture. So the ark is, is key. And just like they're trying to get all the implements together, without the ark, this is not the place, truly the place of worship. Again, it represented the presence of God being with the people of Israel and moving the ark of the covenant from the tabernacle to the place of worship. And so it says there in verse three, therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with the king at the feast, which was on the seventh month. So all the people of Israel had gathered together. Again, this is for the feast, uh, the the, the feast of tabernacles, the seventh month. And so they've gathered together. And this is the time we, we talked about this last time on why that was significant and so they all gathered together, and it was, it was a reminder of when they wandered in the wilderness after they'd been delivered out of bondage. And when they wandered in the wilderness, what led the way? It was a pillar of fire, right? And a pillar of a cloud. It was God's presence that hovered over the ark. Then they would, the pillar would move, and they would move it underneath it. And this was a reminder that, that they followed the Lord wherever He'd go and to be in God's presence. So this feast took place on the seventh month, and the temple dedication again, would be during the Feast of Tabernacles, which would take place in like September, October of our time frame. And the year is 959 BC. I love the Bible because it rocks and it actually can be, it's the greatest history book ever written. This was 11 months after the temple was completed. And it says in 1 Kings, in the 11th year, in the month of Baal, Uh, which is the eighth month, was the house finished throughout all parts thereof, and according to the fashion of it, so was seven years in the building of it. So they had decades before gathering the stuff and waiting until David had died and then the building of the tabernacle. And so in Leviticus, it tells us that they had this feast, this feast of tabernacles, um, and it also was called the Feast of Booths or Sukkoth. And it lasted seven days. And it ended with a holy convocation on the eighth day where the people came together to worship. And this is the eighth day that the temple is being dedicated that we get to right here. So we're at that day where there's going to be a great amount of rejoicing. The people have gathered together for seven days to remember how God was with them as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And during the feast, according to Numbers 29, they sacrificed 189 animals. So we see that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness for sin, and all this blood is being shed, and they're going to, again, uh, bring the ark and and have the temple fully functioning uh, again in in Israel, and actually really for the first time. And so it was called the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of Ingathering, because it also celebrated the end of the harvest season when all the crops were in. And it was one of the feasts that we know will be celebrated during the Millennial Kingdom, when Jesus reigns for a 1,000 years on the earth, we see that in Zechariah fourteen sixteen. So I think Solomon has chosen this feast, again, of the temple on purpose. The feast was to remind the people that they had lived with God at the center of their nation for 40 years as they lived in tents, and now God was back at the center of their nation. When they were wandering in the wilderness, even though they had been in rebellion, they, God's presence was with them, and now... They're celebrating that, and God's presence will be with them yet again as a people. It also reminds me of Jesus. The Bible tells us that word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible, the word there for dwelt is to fix one's tabernacle, to have one's tabernacle, to abide or live in someone's tabernacle. So the Lord dwells with us. He lives inside of us, and They had waited for this specific event to gather all the people together as they're going to rejoice that the temple is not only finished, but all the furnishings will be in the temple. It will be fully operational in the worship of the Lord. And the last thing they needed was the Ark of the Covenant, verse four. So all the elders of Israel came and the Levites took up the ark. So all, all the men of Israel came on the seventh month for the feast, and then all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. Now, by this point, do you think the Levites have figured out how to carry that ark? You know, when people drop dead for doing it wrong, you kind of go back. Let's go back and look at the instructions. Eight people got electrocuted trying to put that in. Let's, let's see what the schematic says so we don't do that again, right? And so people have been drawn. So guess what? The Levites are going to do it right. So they're sent to go and bring the ark. We're going to see it's going to mention the poles. Kind of significant. Because they don't touch the ark. They carry the poles. that carries the ark. And they're going to be obedient to the Lord in doing it. But the priests and the Levite, Levites, the, this pro, they properly respected the pattern of the Mosaic Law. And Solomon wanted representatives of the entire kingdom to witness the event Again, and so he called them in. He said, Look, I want everybody to hear to see this. I want you all to see the ark coming up. I want you to see that not only is the temple finished and the furnishings are in, but now the ark is coming and we're going to restore true worship to the true and living God. Verse 5 Then they brought up the ark of the tabernacle of meeting and all the holy furnishings were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. So they bring these articles from again it used to be in Gibeon and now they've in the house of David and they gather up the articles and they transport them into the building again of the temple and what's amazing about that to me i just see that picture that you know the temple was empty and the temp- temple was beautiful but the temple uh, w- would not function and was of very little value until the furnishings were there and the and again the re- the presence of god and that's that's like the life of the, every person who's born on this planet you know uh, yeah we can be people can be beautiful and precious and God loves us and he, you know we're his treasured possession, but the same, the thing is until we have a relationship with him, we're spiritually dead. and then when you give, when you're born again, you're a new creation in Christ and now the Spirit of the living God lives inside of you, and everything changes and so for them that's what's happening is we're bringing God's presence into the house of God that we built and it was these these blueprints were given by God as a type or a picture of what's in heaven. And this is just what, a, what an awesome God moment to see what God is doing. And they wanted to make sure. Why, now, why do they want every family there? Because every father should go home and tell his children if his children aren't there. Let, let everybody know what you saw and what's happening. And this is why it's being written to them coming back from Babylon. So they understand why the temple is so, so significant. So the, ten, the tabernacle, had, that's where David had looked and said, why is God living in a tent and I live in a palace? That doesn't make any sense. And while the ark was placed in the Holy of Holies, again, the old tabernacle, the old furnishings, again, were stored in storehouses. We talked last time how they, they made new implements for the rest, but they brought the ark. And again, the ark was a picture of God's presence in the midst of God's people. And we're living in a time, again, where there's a lot of churches where uh, God's not there. He's not even welcome there. His Word's not honored. And, and, that's, and that's tragic. It's tragic to see some of the things that, I, that you see from supposed Christian churches. We're open and affirming of every simple behavior, but we just don't affirm God around here or His Word. Amen? Any church that says they're open and affirming, is not talking about the Lord. We're talking about being. We're so gracious and open and affirming about your sinful behavior that we don't have a problem with it. Look, we're open to everyone coming to church here. I don't care who they are. They're all welcome. Amen. And we're going to love them unconditionally. I would love that. I mean, and we saw it in Santa Cruz. We had for a time there. We'd have twenty-five homosexuals on our service. God bless you. I'm glad you're here. Talk to him about Jesus, never water down the message, love him unconditionally. But the reality is when you say that that sin, any sin is okay, when when you make any sin acceptable, what we're doing is we're denying the word of God and we're making what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary as if he did it in vain, if we think we can be saved without repenting and being redeemed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, Amen. And so the point is that we need to get Jesus back at the center. In this case, getting God back at the center God's presence in the midst of God's people. My prayer is that when you come to church here, you have God's presence. We have the Lord, and not just our feelings, but we should know that He is with us. Point number three, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. It says in verse six, also King Solomon And all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him before the ark were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Once God's presence was among God's people, they didn't just say great and run away. What did they do? They started, when they recognized God's presence was among them, what did they do? They started making sacrifices. That what they, it's an act of worship for them, right? They were worshiping the Lord. We're going to see later, they're going to be singing at the top of their lungs. And so guys, when we're in God's presence, what happens? it should cause us to want to worship Him. Amen? It should cause us, being in God's presence, to want to cry out to Him and to, to be obedient to what He's called us to do. And so they're just sacrificing over and over because they haven't been able to for the longest time, certainly not in something like the temple. And because it's there and God's presence is there, they're, they're ready to, to give it all to the Lord, to sacrifice everything to the Lord. And that's their heart. They do it over and over, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be numbered in multitude. Solomon went over the top in his effort to honor and praise God for this great and awesome day. Then it says there in verse six, verse seven actually, then the priest brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord into its place, into the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. If you uh, go back and look at Leviticus and a few other places, and, you know, and and you look at the building of the temple or the tabernacle itself and later the temple, not only were there angels, you know, on the Ark of the Covenant, but they had... Cherubim or angels woven into the cloth that covered... The t- so when you went in there, you looked up and it had angels all around it, and then you had the ark with angels on top of it. And that truly is a picture of heaven, because we know there are angels around the throne of God, singing, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Amen? And they never stop singing it. And they never get tired of singing it either. Amen? Because in God's presence, we will be so blown away that we will do, we, there's nothing we can do but worship him. So the interior of the temple was richly decorated with designs of different angels which surround the throne of God in heaven. And this design of the temple, again, was a pattern, uh, pattern of the tabernacle, which had woven designs of angels on its in, inside covering as well. And so cherubim and these angels are throughout the temple. They surround the throne of God, and just as the angels sing around the throne Today. Now the cherubim overshadowed, it says, let's keep reading, verse, eight, uh, verse 7 the priest brought it to the most holy, placed it under the wings of the cherubim, for the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark of the pole. So the proper way to transport it, we notice they got poles in the ark this time. That means they figured out, you don't move it without it. Now, some of this may seem trivial. Why, why do you have to carry it with poles? Well, first of all, we touch not the glory, amen? But second of all, this is all we really need, because God said so. Amen? Didn't you hate it when you were a kid, when your parents would tell you to do something, you go, why? And you say, because I said so. My kids were big fans of that, because I said so. But I'll, I'll tell you what, it meant more when my dad said it, because like, I, I can never imagine, I never, I don't think I ever t- in my life, when my dad told me to do something, say, what? Yeah, that didn't work out well. Then you'd hear the belt <laughs> coming out of the, you know, <laughs> it was yes, sir. And yes, ma'am. And get to it. Can I get an amen to that? But you know what, when we're doing something for the Lord, if God tells us to do it, Often he will explain why, but he doesn't have to explain why. All we know is we're idiots. He's perfect holy God. He tells us to do something. He's right. Let's do it. Amen? Sometimes when I've been counseling people for a long time, I finally go, look, I'm tired of talking about this. God said so. Go do it. Amen? This is what the word of God says. Do it. So carry it by poles. Why? A cart's better. A cart's faster. Yeah, put it on the cart you're dead. Amen. (laughs) Right. You reach out to balance it. Not so much. Right. But the point is obey to obey is better than sacrifice. God knows what he's doing and everybody thinks they've got a special dispensation. Well, I, you know, but you know, I know I'm not, but this guy that I met, he's amazing. And, and, you know, I know God says not to, but, but, you know, God doesn't know my circumstance. Stop. When you say God doesn't know, you're already proving more of an idiot that you are, amen? And so they're doing it right. They brought the ark the right way. They had to learn the hard way, but they brought it the right way. And the poles extended to the ends of the poles of the ark could be seen within the holy place. So from the holy place, so the ark is inside the holy of holies, At this point, the poles are sticking out so that they can see the poles, but they can't see the ark. So they know the ark is there because the poles that are connected to it are there. The ark was placed in the Holy of Holies lengthwise. The poles, uh, again, evidently uh, came out of the curtain. And you know, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy of Holies. Wherever we go, the Holy Spirit comes with us. And you know, the the pole sticking out of the curtain was evidence that the Ark of the Covenant was there. And you know, I, I, my heart is that it should be evident by our behavior that the Holy of Holies is here. Amen? People should be able to see it and how we live and, and how we love and how we serve and how we worship and what kind of neighbors we are, what kind of workers are we, what kind of people are we, and the way that we respond to people, and it should be evidence that the Holy Spirit lives here because we see something ex- uh, externally that's so evident in the life of someone who has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Now this is, is, is uh, let's keep reading, but we're going to see a couple of things here that are kind of make you wonder a little bit what happened. But it says they're in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from the outside and they are there to this day. So up to the time of this, that, that that's the poles would stick out, and, and, and if, you were, if they were in, you know, relighting the, the lamps on the golden lampstand or replacing the bread on the table of bread, or at the altar of innocence, they could see the poles sticking out of the holy of holies. Verse 10, it says, Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of Moses put there at Horeb. So I just mentioned a while ago, there's three things in the, inside the ark, and two of them are missing. One of them was the rod of Aaron, who was the first high priest, Moses' brother. And I don't know if you know when Aaron's rod budded is when there was a challenge to his authority, and God showed it by making this stick, you know, bloom. That's a God thing, Amen. Might have been the same stick that he turned into serpents too. So that's a pretty awesome stinking stick. Amen. So so the stick, you know, it's used against, you know, let my people go. And then it it buds and it was, you know, somehow even a portion of it was inside the ark. And now it's not there. And the jar of manna, it's not there. But the word of God, the 10 commandments was still there. Now, what happened to the other two? I don't know. And I looked at a bunch of commentators, you know what they all said? We don't know. And guess what? We don't have to know. But you know what? It does say something to me. It does say that at some point the care, of the, care for the ark was not what it should have been. Because if it had been taken care of the way that it should have been, those items wouldn't be gone now, we do know that there was a period of time where the Philistines had it and it got sent back, right? There was times when the ark was you know, not treated the way that it should have been. And it's seen by the fact that it's not there. And, and I think of the application in our lives, my own life, are there times when I'm not as close to God as I used to be? And if I'm not as close to God as I used to be, again, who moved? I did. I moved away. He didn't move away. But there are times when we just kind of get lackadaisical in our faith. And we're not, you know, like they're not transporting the ark the way that it should have been and people are dying. They're not giving it the reverence that it deserves because it points to the Lord. And the same thing can happen in our own walk. Well, yeah, you know, I'm a Christian. I grew up that way. I got my get out of hell free card. I know the Lord. You know, I know all the songs and stuff, but I'm just going through a tough time right now. And, you know, I really don't have time to be in fellowship. And I, if you don't have time to be in fellowship, you need, to just, you need to cut something else out of your life because God comes first, not last. Amen. And so the ark is back, but there's things missing from it. And it says, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel, when they had come out of Egypt. So the ark was a constant reminder as well of their deliverance out of bondage because those three things were given to them. Uh, again, the, the manna was a representation of God's provision. I love I love the book of Exodus. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. I love Genesis. Well, I love them all. I have 66 favorite books. They're all in here. But I love the wandering through the wilderness. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and God dropped food out of the sky, and they complained. Right? At least you had leeks and onions back in Egypt. You also had beatings in Egypt. Amen. We have this way of remembering the the good or forgetting the bad, right? We have these selective memories. It was so great for I was saved out partying. No, it wasn't. It was horrible. Amen? We have a selective memory. And so they needed to be reminded of all that God had done for them. Not only that, do you know that everybody lived that lived for 40 years, the ones that didn't drop dead, they're over 20? Do you know that their, their, their clothes grew with them? It's in the Bible. Their clothes grew with them. So the kid that came out of five years old with his, you know, his little onesie, he was 45, or <laughs> you know, around. You know, God grew the clothes. See, that's our God. He could do anything. And you know what? If we really believe that, we would pray more. Amen. We pray for revival, we pray for God, the, the hand of God, the move of God. God had made a covenant with them when they came out of Israel. This was a reminder and was significant, which is some 500 years after Exodus now. He's reminding them 500 years ago how God provided them, even though they disobeyed him and listened to 10 men, and God still provided. See, our God's faithful. Israel came out of, Israel, of, of Egypt into the wilderness. Out of necessities, they lived in tents, and, they dwelt, and dwelling of God was also a tent and now since they built the temple, the dwelling of God was among the children of Israel, a place of permanence and security. See, the tabernacle would be moved from place to place. And you know what's great about the temple? It wasn't going anywhere. And you know what that's so amazing is our God's not going anywhere. Amen? He's not going anywhere. I found Jesus. He was never lost. you ever seen those bumper stickers? I found Jesus. Now he found us. Amen? Because we were lost, not him. And so the ark is so significant, having it back and having a place of permanence where they could come to worship the Lord and being reminded of all that God had done, going all the way back really to the times of Abraham, right? And and then Jacob and all the people and just these are God's chosen people and all that they've been through. And now they're in God's land of promise and and the the temple is there, and God's presence is there, and God's hand is upon us, and our enemies have been defeated. What a wonderful picture. And notice they celebrate that on the feast that represents the millennial reign upon the earth, because when we are ruling and reigning with the Lord for a thousand years, our enemies will have been defeated, God will be on the throne, and we will have nothing to fear on this planet. Amen? And that's what this was a representation of. Hey, we're, hey, we're back in Jerusalem. We're, we're, we're where we belong for these, re, these people reading it later to be reminded of, wow, the temple's important. Look at all this. They're telling us about it. And they needed to be reminded, just like fellowship's important. Last point, be prepared to enter in to God's presence. Now watch this. So they, they've had all this time and they finally, you know, the temple's been built and it's awe-inspiring. Uh, If you ever look at models of Jerusalem, the size of the temple just overshadowed everything else. It was the central focal point of everything in Jerusalem. And it would be the one thing you couldn't miss it. And it's in place and it's permanent. And, you know, God's presence is there. What a glorious thing. And look at verse 11. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. Now, when, when David had set up the priests to serve in the temple, in the tabernacle before him, and said, this is how you can have them serve in the temple, each, each group of priests would only serve for two weeks. And the rest of the year, they would just live you know, doing other things, but they didn't serve in the temple in that way. So they'd only serve for two weeks and then the rest of the time. And they would rotate. They had 24 pairs. You guys remember this from uh, just a few chapters back, some chapters back. And so this was all put in place by King David. But notice when it gets done, they all show up. It's not just the two. Well, it's our turn for two weeks. But everybody stopped what they were doing. They all came together to celebrate that the temple had been finished that the Ark of the Covenant was in place, the priests that had been inside there now come out. Notice that they all cleansed themselves even before they came to be in the presence of Almighty God. And I want to encourage all of us that we want to cleanse ourselves. What I mean by that is, look, are we forgiven for our sins? What's the answer? But should we continue to pray and ask for forgiveness when we sin and we're convicted? What's the answer? absolutely. And so I think, you know, I think when we come to church, we should come with clean hands, right? When we come to worship the Lord, the first thing we should do is ask for forgiveness. Lord, be there any wicked way in me. Show me, O Lord. I want to come cleansed before the Lord. I want to come into his presence and say, Lord, you know, please forgive me, please, you know, and and God will bring even sins that you need to confess and just say, Lord, please forgive me. And we want to come with clean hands and pure hearts before Almighty God. Amen? We want to come in, because again, Sin separates, and again, for the unbeliever, it'll separate them for an eternity, but we break fellowship in a sense if we're just living in sinful behavior, and we refuse to repent as believers. We've missed out on that fellowship, and so all these knew that, look, this is the presence of God, and they were not, you know, they, they had rituals in those days for the priests that they would have to cleanse themselves before they would go into the holy place, before they would go into the holy of holies, before they came into the presence of God. And again, we've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. God sees this as holy. We should come before him you know, with clean hands. Notice it says they sanctified themselves. They were set apart unto the Lord. Our heart's desire should be coming to the presence of God and his people above all else. Don't only come when it is your turn to serve. Don't only come when you feel like it. Don't only come when your favorite football team's not on TV or NASCAR, or whatever else, right? Or the waves are up. You know, it should be such a get to, not a have to. And I know I'm, talk, I'm preaching to the choir because you're here on Thursday night on a cold night. Amen? You guys are the, you know, you, I'm going to church. I don't care if it's cold. So the point I'm making is that, but that should be something that should be a priority and a passion for us. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, they go on Christmas and Easter, By the way, invite them. We're having church on Christmas. If they only come on Christmas and Easter, let's get them here on Christmas because they will hear about Jesus. Amen? But they come in there. All of them want to come. It's not my two weeks to serve at the temple, but I'm coming anyway. You know, it's not not my turn to teach the men's study, but I want to be there anyway. You know, it's not my turn to to serve in the children's ministry, but I'll be there to help if they need it. Amen? It's just that heart to serve and to be right before God, that it's the priority of your life. It's not a have to, it's a get to. Amen? Took seven years to build, 11 months awaiting the right day to dedicate the temple. And prior to that years, David spent gathering the materials. And when the day finally came to dedicate it, all the priests were present. I want to be there. I don't want to miss it. I want to be with God's people. I want to see the presence of God. And again, that word sanctified means to cleanse. It also means to make sacrifices. In those days, one of the ways they cleansed themselves, they made sacrifices. For them, that was an act of worship, and it was an act of atonement pointing to the one who's coming. And and we don't know that they fully even grasped that. They were just being obedient to the Lord. They knew that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness for sin. And in their time, it didn't really forgive it as much as cover it and point it to the one who was coming, the Lord. praise God for us, we don't make sacrifices anymore, because when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished, it's been paid in full, amen? But that doesn't mean that we should have a license to sin, or that we shouldn't take our holiness seriously. See, they wanted to come before a holy God, having been cleansed, and and my heart would be that we would want to, to, even though we're holy in him, but... To be, you know, to be reverent and to walk in obedience and to approach Him with that same heart. We too should prepare ourselves to enter into God's presence. Again, my dad used to say, "You prepare for Sunday morning on Saturday night. Be prayed up, be well-rested, coming with reverence and a heart of expectation to meet the Lord. When you come to church, do you come with a heart of expectation that God's going to meet me there? He's going to indwell our praise I'm gonna hear from his word and it's gonna impact my life. Are you praying for people before you get here that might not know the Lord that they would get saved, that the kingdom would be added to? See, we got to be coming here excited to see what God's gonna do and how he's gonna minister to every heart. And do you pray that say, Lord, use my gifts when I am there. And maybe someone needs a hug, use my arms. And someone may need a word of encouragement, Lord, use my lips. And Lord, I just pray for divine appointments. I pray for the people that are gonna be sitting next to me. They'll have an opportunity to speak into their lives. So we should come with great expectation because when we're here, God's here. Amen? He's the guest of honor, and he's here with us. And you know what? That ought to be exciting to us. And sadly, if you've gone to church long enough, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll go to church. We'll hang out after. We'll We'll go to IHOP afterward, need some bad food, whatever, right? And what happens is we get this thing where it just becomes a ritual if we're not careful, we don't meet God there. We just sing a few songs and hear Bible study that's going too long and, and uh, go home and our lives don't change. Verse 12, it says, And the Levites, who were the singers, all those of Asaph and Hermon and Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments and harps, And with them, 120 priests sounding the trumpets. Hey guys, these guys are excited about what God is doing and they all come together. And the way it's interpreted, all of them are singing and all of them either have a stringed instrument or a cymbal besides the 120 guys that are blowing trumpets. By the way, I don't see anywhere in scripture where, where worship is solemn and like you're mourning. Oh come on, man. That's not gonna be like that in heaven, amen. We have people, every church I've passed, I've been a part of, I've been a pastor, a senior pa- assistant. The worship's either too too quiet or too loud. We we sing too many hymns or not enough hymns. Quit complaining and just start worshiping Jesus. Can we just do that? Amen. Just praise the Lord. Praise Him. And I love this. That worship just breaks out. Just the fact that God's presence is here, they can't help but worship. All the priests come. They cleanse themselves. They're wearing white, right? They're they're clothed in righteousness, and they're standing there and they're praising God and they're singing at the top of their lungs, guys. That's a picture of heaven. Amen. We get to heaven. We're gonna we're gonna have to you know. We're going to be at the Crystal Sea we're going to see people for as far as the eyes can see. We're all going to be worshiping together. Man, I long for that day. How about you? Singers are all in their place, cymbals, and stringed instruments. Okay? Yeah? Yeah? Instruments with strings on it, cymbals. That would be right there. Can I get an amen to that? Right, Jack in heaven? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't like the drums. He loves them now, though. going to get him in. He likes palm trees now too. Amen. One hundred twenty priests sounding the trumpets. Thousands of singers. Man, I just love this. They're rejoicing. They're, you know, they're, and I, the blowing of the trumpets to me, it's again, it's a picture of like you know when 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 the, the that we're gonna hear that last trumpet, right? We're gonna be in the presence of God. They're just so blessed. Rejoicing! There's a permanent place where we can go, and we can worship the Lord. as God's presence is there. And guys, there's a permanent place if you've been born again, and it's right here. And we should never take that for granted, Amen. We should never get so discouraged by the things of the world that we forget that we don't not only belong to the Lord, but He dwells within us. Verse thirteen. Indeed, it came to pass. When the trumpeters and the singers, as one, praising and thanking the Lord, with, uh, when they lifted up their voice with trumpets and cymbals, instruments of music, and praise the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Amen, 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 and amen. Our God is good. Amen? He's the very definition of good. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's no good men. There's no good women. There's no good people. There aren't, but we serve a good God. Amen. And you know what? We should, not be, unashamed. We should be unashamed of the greatness of our God. We should sing it from you know, the depths of our hearts. And day was focused on praise. Notice they're praising the Lord. They're not praising Solomon. They're not praising the craftsmen. They're not praising the person that built it. They're not praising the people that, that brought the ark to the temple. They're praising the Lord because, guys, we do not come to church to praise men. We come to church to praise God. Amen? We don't praise men. We don't elevate men. We don't, you know, again, we, have, we can have reverence for them to some degree, but we, we, we don't revere really anybody but the Lord himself. And they notice, we don't see it. Nobody's singing a song to Solomon here. Amen? They're not singing songs to David. There's no statues of Solomon and David in there that they're, you know, there's no medallion with the, you know, St. David on it, right? We're not doing any of that. What are they doing? They're praising the Lord. And they're saying that he's a good God and that his mercy endures forever. I am so thankful for that in scripture because you know what? There's sometimes in my life, if I looked at it, I would think that the mercy had ran out because if I was God, I would just be enough already, Right? But his mercy endures forever. How many of us need his mercy that endures forever? Amen? Yeah, thank you, Lord. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Mercy is not being given what you deserve. And grace is being given something you don't deserve. And our God is a God of grace and mercy. And to talk about how good he is. They're just praising his name. And Lord, help us. I love how they're all together in worshiping him. You know, our God wants unity within the body of Christ. One of the things the enemy wants to do is divide us. And I, I had this long illustration, I don't have time for it, but it just talks about these two guys and they, they start talking and they're, they're talking about all the theological things they agree on. And they go through like 50 things they agree, me too, me too. And then they get to one, they disagree and they, you know, they get in a fight and call each other heretics, right? And, and the reality is that, the enemy wants to divide the church and have us, you know, be more focused on a non essential we disagree on than the fact that we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we're going to spend eternity in heaven. And you notice that they all came together and they were all worshiping the Lord. And our God, may, may we be unified as followers of the Lord. Unity is the anointing oil. It's like the anointing oil of the priest. The oil in the Bible is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And there's a connection between the work and the power of the Holy Spirit and unity among the brethren. It's, it, we see that throughout Scripture. In the New Testament in Philippians 1, it says, Only let your conversation be as becoming of the gospel of Christ, that when I come and see you, or else I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving for together for the faith of God. The gospel. I think it'd be amazing how much could, would take place in churches if nobody cared who got the credit. Amen. When I was in Santa Cruz, I was constantly trying to get all the church. Let's do it. Let's do. let do a countywide baptism at the beach. Let's do it. Well, we baptize in the name of, the, of just Jesus only, and in the name of the Father and the Son. We, well, we, we, you know, we move forward. You do backward. We can't, you know. And I'm like, stop it. Could never make it happen. And then I said, look, Easter Sunday, let's do, or, or another Sunday, let's, let's all close our churches and go to the football field and have every church in Santa Cruz County at the football field together, all worshiping God together, and all of us, you know, uh, hearing a message together, and we can invite a bunch of people. Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, you know what? If you teach, they'll all even go to your church. Well, then you teach. Well, I'm not, I don't want to stand in front of them. You can't help it. I'm just jumping up and down. Are you kidding me right now? Well, you know, I have to gather a certain number of people. I'm going to lose my job. Well, you've got to stand before Almighty God. you worried about that at all? Is that in the equation anywhere? And so there, there needs to be unity. That, we, that look, we, we're all about it for the kingdom of God. You know, I, And so that's what he says. Let's finish up where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. It says in Matthew 18. And we talk about Jesus being with us when we have two or three gathered together. But the verse before this one talks about how we are to be together. It says, the the verse right after, it says this in, in the verse of four, excuse me, Matthew 18, 19. Again, I say to you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father, which is in heaven. See, God shows up when we learn to work with each other, and God shows up when we work with Him. Then notice he says here at the end of that verse there, he talks about to be heard praising and thanking God. You know, God desires our praise, and we we were created to praise Him. But you know what? We don't praise Him because we feel like we have to. We praise him because of who he is and what he's done. Amen? We praise him because we love him. And I think the closer we get to the Lord, the more we have a heart to praise him. It says in Psalm 22, But thou art holy, O thou inhabitor of the praises of Israel. You sit as the Holy One. The praises of Israel are your throne. Why does God show up when his people praise him? Because, not because he's arrogant, not because they're saying nice things, but when we praise Him, we're showing that we trust Him. It says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for He comes to, those who come to God must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of them who diligently seek Him. Praise is a powerful, powerful thing. Notice it also says that again, for He is good. You know, Good. the word in that he has mercy. The word for mercy, there's goodness, kindness, faithfulness. It means loyal, steadfast, or faithful. And that's the God that we serve. His attributes are perfect. And then we need to focus on on his love for us. All that God does towards us is based on his love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than without you. You know, I, I don't, I'm trying not to bring it up as often, but you know, in, in a year, and a, in the last year and a half, you know, my son, my brother, my mom all went to heaven and, and you know what? It would be so easy to be angry with God, but I can honestly tell you by his grace, I haven't been angry with him for a second. All I can do is thank him that all three of them knew him, that he sent his son to die for them, that they're in heaven now doing better than all of us and I'm going to see them again. See, as believers, we grieve, but not as those without hope. And because of the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God, and the fact that we can praise him, the fact that we can enter into his presence, the fact that he's given me a down payment on heaven in the person of the Holy Spirit, I can rejoice in the midst of the worst trials. Why? Because this is just for a little while compared to eternity. Amen? And that should be, Lord, help us to keep our heart there, to not lose sight of that. He is good. Praise the Lord. His mercy does indeed endure forever. And God works in difficult times. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, three of my favorite... I'm, I'm going to have a Coke with them in heaven. I'm just telling you right now. We're going to know as we were known. I'm like, dudes, I don't want to talk to you. Let's sit down and talk about this. Okay, did you feel the fire at all? Were you just like chilling in there? Can you tell me what up? But here's the reality is these guys were, you know, bow or you're going in the fire. Well, we're not going to do what you say. God will deliver us. But even if not, we will never bow to your golden idol. And you know, King Nebuchadnezzar, I envision his, you know, how some people get mad and they get like veins popping in their head and on their neck. I just imagine, oh, who is a God? Don't deliver me out of mine. You know, I can just see this guy, just head about to explode and they don't flinch. I serve God. They throw him in the fire. We know that the guy, when, the, when it opens up, it kills all the... He says, heat it up seven times hotter. How much fire, hot does fire have to be to kill you? I don't understand that. But heat it up seven times hotter. It kills all the guys. They throw him in, and we know what happens. He's looking into the fire, and he sees, did we not throw in three? And we see four walking freely. Three bound, four walking freely, and the fourth was in the likeness of Son of God. You know why? Because when we're in the fire, Jesus is with us. Amen. And it's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. Amen? And so these trials that we go through, it's good to know that his mercy endures forever, and he doesn't leave us. And this should cause us to just praise him until our voices are, are done. Notice it says there, let's finish it. It says, the glory of the Lord fill it says, verse 4, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. The house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. Uh, the word there is Shekinah. You guys ever heard of Shekinah glory? You guys ever heard that before? Raul Reese calls it Chicano glory, but it's actually Shekinah glory. <laughs> and it's the presence of God dwelling among his people. The word Shekinah is derived from the Hebrew word meaning to dwell. And so the cloud was God's presence, him dwelling in their presence, that the house of the Lord was filled with the cloud. This is the cloud of glory seen often in the Old and New Testament, sometimes called again the cloud of Shekinah glory. This is the cloud which God met Moses, met with Moses and others. On Sinai, This is the cloud that stood by the door of the tabernacle. This is the cloud from which God appeared to the high priest in the holy place inside the veil. This is the cloud of Ezekiel's vision, filling the temple of God with the brightness of his glory. This is the cloud of glory that overshadowed Mary when she conceived Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the cloud that presented was present at Jesus, the transfiguration of Jesus. This is the cloud of glory that received Jesus back into heaven in his ascension. This is the cloud that will be displayed the glory of Jesus Christ when he returns to triumph on the earth. Guys, this is the cloud of God's presence. It's the glory of God. It's the presence of God. And the great thing about it is it's wherever God dwells and God dwells in us. Amen? I love the outpouring of the glory of God. Last verse, and it says, so the priest, so that that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. When was the last time the glory of the Lord was filling the house of God? His presence should be evident, right? The glory of God, the power of God should be present among us. He's not a faraway distant God. It's a Kind of glory. It's his glory that dwells within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. As soon as the temple was open for business, they, all the carefully planned ceremonies and ser, um, services had to be suspended because the people walked in and sensed the presence of God and they were blown away. Jesus himself was greater than the cloud that filled the temple. When it came, it was fitting for the priest and the temple service to stop. This has showed again that when the Lord is here, it's all about him. We don't put anything in front of him, nothing beside him. It's all about him. And then finally, the glory of God had filled the house, and the priests were set aside. Where God is, man is forgotten. Amen? Where God is, man is forgotten. And you will think little of the minister, save for his work's sake. You will talk less about the man, and you talk more about the master. See, when you've had a head-on collision with the Lord, it doesn't matter who delivered it. We're just tools in the hands of the master, and we don't praise men, we praise him. Men will fail you, God never will. So, in closing, God's presence in the midst of God's people, be faithful to finish. God's presence uh, back is, had come back into the midst of God's people, and maybe that's you tonight. You know, maybe you need to really get back into intimate fellowship with the Lord. Maybe you're walking with the Lord at arm's length. You know, you can take a million steps away from God, it's only one step back. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, we want to do God's will, God's way. The highest form of worship is obedience. And may we sing his praises at the top of our lungs and may we be prepared to enter into God's presence when we come to fellowship with God's people, when we spend time in his word, may we make him the focal point of all that we say and all that we do. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. May we not be satisfied with where we are spiritually. May we always desire to be closer to you, to walk in intimate fellowship with you. Lord, use us as tools in the hands of our master for your kingdom and for your glory alone. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said...